pray today that you would help us to remember that Jesus is Lord. We do pray for all of our elected officials. We pray for those who serve in armed forces, for those who serve as officers of the law and the community in which we live. We pray for those who are poor and oppressed and marginalized by society and by the structures in which we live. We pray that we would be a people who call out injustice. We would be a people who are merciful, who are full of compassion and love for others. The church would be marked by humility and love for other people, that that would be the defining characteristics of us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use us to further your work in this community. Pray for our time together this morning that we would continue to pray for each other, for the person beside us and in front of us or behind us, that we would pray for them even if we're not sure of their name. We pray today, Lord, that you'd help us to be your people, a people of faith, hope, and love. And we pray in these next few moments that you would speak to us, that it wouldn't be my voice that we would hear, but yours. So we pray all these things in your son Jesus who loves us. Amen. You may be seated. As many of you know, we all have technology, and sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't. So, um, so I have a quick kind of commercial, well, actually two things this morning before we start. Uh, one, if you are available this coming Saturday, starting at 9 a.m., we've got a lot of leaves that need to get cleaned up. And it's more for any one person to do, so Saturday at 9 a.m., I know you probably have leaves too, but if you can come help here, we would greatly appreciate it. Saturday, 9 a.m., Male or female, we'll take you. If you're a little kid with a rake, we'll take you too. Uh, bring your rakes, tarps, blowers, whatever else you have. But Saturday morning, 9 a.m., uh, pass the word, invite your friends. They don't have to love Jesus, but if they like yard work, we'll take them too. Um, so we hope you'll come Saturday at 9 a.m. I, I, I want to mention one thing quickly. I've read this before, and I want to read it again, especially in light of this coming Tuesday. This is from John Wesley, who's a, a church father and theologian. And so here's what he wrote. I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them. One, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. Listen to these next two really closely. Number two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. And three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. I'm going to read those last two again. They're really good, important for us today, I think. To speak no evil of the person they voted against... Number three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. See, I I think it's important we recognize that um, on Wednesday, four years from now, eight years from now, 12 years from now, 16 years from now, who, regardless of who the president may or may not be, um, Jesus is still Lord. Our hope is still not found in any nation. Our hope is found in a resurrected Savior. Hope is not found in any country I would say this if we were French or Canadian or Mexican or whatever we were. But our hope is found in a kingdom that, that has one king. 
Uh, his name isn't President, but Jesus. And so I, I would encourage you, um, regardless of what happens on Tuesday into Wednesday, um, some of us probably, if we're honest, we need to repent of some things we've said in recent weeks or months. Uh, we need to ask for apologies, or we, need, not, we don't need to ask for apologies, we need to give apologies to some we've said some things to, maybe online or other kinds of forums. And so I would encourage you, in our service today, at the end, we're taking communion, and we invite everyone to participate in that. And communion is a way for us to, to kind of reflect on what's going on in our lives, but also it's a way for us to, to ask for forgiveness. And so sometimes we do that with just God, and sometimes there's a person in particular we need to go to. And so I would encourage you throughout the service today to just reflect on that, to think maybe if there's someone or something you need to apologize for or two that you would do that. So just, just throwing that out there, I'm done with that now. Um, and so we'll go back to the, the story of Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 2 today in just a few moments. But um, my question for you is, is a kind of a simple one today. Have you ever been really, really dirty? I mean like really dirty. The kind of dirty that sometimes takes two showers to clean off because you don't get it the first time. So I have to be honest, I've got a bit of a confession. I, I hate to be dirty. Like with a passion, I will. But I'm the person that showers twice a day whether I need it or not. Um, I, know, I know it's not good for your skin to shower that much, but smelling is much worse, so I'll take the one over the other. But, but I was thinking about how sometimes we get so filthy in some way that, that it just, just can't get it off. And I was thinking about times that that's happened in my life. When I was in college, I volunteered with the church across the street from the university I went to, and, and Dale Wine called me, and I had just been volunteering a very brief time, and he said, hey, got an opportunity. And anytime someone calls from a church and says, I have an opportunity, it's probably not an opportunity. Um, and he said, hey, can you, can you come help me? We've got this family. They have to be moved out today. And I, even at like 18 or 19, I thought, why didn't they do this like yesterday? I mean, it's like six o'clock already. And so I, I was dumb enough to say yes. And so I, and it was during March Madness, which is basketball. And, and anyway, um, we'd already ordered food. But so I said, okay. And I, I roped in another guy down the hall to go with me, and so we went, and, and I've never seen a place so dirty in my life, ever. There were dead mice. Uh, we actually shoveled stuff off the floor into garbage bags. All their belongings, just basically we used shovels. Um, it, it reeked like animal and human feces and urine. By the way, lunches later, I know. Um, it, was, it was awful. It was like caked on you. So when we left, got back, we were like stripping down in the hallway and throwing our clothes straight in the washing machine because you didn't even walk in your room smelling like that and with that all over you. And I remember when, when I went to Costa Rica on a mission trip a few years ago, we were responsible for, for updating this church. And so like in many large cities, you can't build out because you don't own the land, but you can go up. So they had to build a second floor. And so the way you do that is you build from the inside, which is a weird kind of thing, I know. But, but we were tasked with ripping down the 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 ceiling, ripping it off so that way they could build up. And so we started working and, and about two hours in they said, oh, you guys probably want these masks because there's asbestos in that ceiling. And like, that would have been nice two hours ago. And I was black from head to toe. Uh, took multiple showers for all of us to get that stuff off. I mean, you're just filthy. It was caked on you. It was like a second skin. Or, or I worked at a ballpark when I was in high school and college and we would, we would work on the field and we, we dug out a whole infield and redid the whole thing. And, and and I would come home and I would smell like a mixture of diesel fuel and all kinds of other stuff. And so my mom would make me leave my shoes, not even in the garage, but outside because she didn't want that in the house. Or maybe if you've ever seen Aaron Haichu or Mark Harper, or even I have a couple times, if you cut the grass here at the church because of how dusty this 
this place is, because we don't water all the grass, when you're done, it is, you can't breathe. You're blowing your nose and it's like leaves and grass coming out for weeks. It, it's awful. And you're just covered in this filth. And, and, and maybe, maybe we're kind of enamored with filth in some ways because there's even a show called Dirty Jobs. I think it's off the air now, but we all kind of liked it because we could see who had the dirtiest job. And the truth is, the more we think about that, the more we think about the fact that, that not that those jobs aren't noble, but we've all had moments in life where we couldn't get the dirt off. Right? The filth is so caked on us, it's like a second layer of skin that when people look at us, I mean, they're not sure where our actual skin color is and where the dirt is, and you're not really sure. See, I think if we're honest, when we think about life, and our circumstances, and our situations, and decisions we've made, there are moments in life where dirt, or filth, or junk, but just caked on us. We try to get it off, and it doesn't really come off. Sometimes it's in places of despair that that's how we feel, that we've been surrounded. Maybe it's pressure from work that's been mounting. It's this feeling of your life unraveling around you. It's this sense that a relationship is strained to the point that it may be over or close to it. It's this thing that school or work is becoming unbearable, that it's this place of despair and hurt and heartache and depression. And it surrounds us, encapsulates us. So we talked last week about this Jonah story, this story of a guy who, who in his decisions, he impacted those around him, whether he wanted to or not. And each of us, every time we make a decision, it impacts someone else. Whether we want it to or not, it does. It just, that's the byproduct of decisions. They impact other people. So we began talking about the fact that that Jonah was called to go one certain particular direction. He was supposed to go north, and he went south, and he kept going south. He knew the direction he was supposed to go, just like we so often do, and he went the other way. And if we're honest, it's at that point that we begin to take stock of the repercussions in our lives. We find ourselves feeling this filth or grime or despair or hurt. Whether it was our decisions or the decisions of others, they impacted us in such a way that that's where we find ourselves. And sometimes, if we're in that for so long, if we find ourselves in those places for so long in despair and hurt and frustration, we, when people look at us, they don't even see us anymore. They see that it's like the second skin, it's the crud, it's the grime that has stuck to us. We're not even sure it's who we are anymore. So we talked last week about this story of Jonah, this, this guy who knew God was calling him to a particular way of life, to a particular location, to a particular people, to go and tell them about who God really was, that God really loves them, and that if they'll just turn towards him, that he'll redeem them and restore them and make all the wrongs right. I mean, because that's who God is. But, but Jonah says, I don't want to go to those people, those Ninevites, those people in Nineveh. They're Assyrians. They, they oppressed us. They enslaved us. They kicked us out of our homeland. I don't want to go there. Because I know who you are, God. I know you redeem people, that you make broken things repair, that you take wrongs and make them right. I know what you're going to do. And so, no, I'm not going. I'm going to go the other direction because they deserve to get what they deserve, and I'm not going to be a part of you redeeming them. So if I don't go there, maybe they'll get what they deserve. And Jonah goes down, quite literally and figuratively. He goes down. He heads south. He gets on a boat. He, he keeps running away. And the more Jonah goes 
down, the more the storms of his life, and in this story, literally, storms rise up. The more he goes down, the more the crud rises. I mean, this is figurative and literal at the same time. It's both. We left off last week with Jonah being thrown overboard into the sea, into the, the abyss. We talked about the sea that, that, that the Jewish understanding of creation was that the sea exists in the world, that land is just kind of on top of water. So underneath all land is water. And so Jonah goes underneath the land, in the water, in the place of the deep, this place of chaos, this place of destruction, this place of death, the Sheol, or hell, if you prefer. And Jonah goes to this place, and he's thrown over the, off the boat into the sea, and the water comes over top of him. It's as if he's swallowed by the sea, and if that's not this great fish. Jonah, the story is thought to be written by the prophet himself. There's some, some question as to whether or not it, it's to be a literal story, or if it's a figurative parable story something about God and the way he works in the world, it doesn't really matter because the truth of the story is the same nonetheless. But it does tell us something about Jonah in the midst of this storm. And so I'll invite you to stand as we read from Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, here's what Jonah writes. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of the Lord. Maybe seated. I know it's a great picture of being vomited out before you go to lunch in just a little bit. But this chapter begins with Jonah in the belly of this great fish, this gadol or great. Gadol is the Hebrew word for great, so this gadol fish. See, Jonah was supposed to go to a gadol city to tell them about a gadol God. Instead, he found himself in the Gadol Sea, inside the Gadol fish. This great fish that had swallowed him up. This great fish that if it had gone the other direction, had he told about this really great God, he wouldn't have found himself there. Instead, he finds himself in this place of seeming despair, this place of desolation, this place of death. Swallowed up into the sea. I mean, he is underneath the mountains. That his prayer is, I know I'm in... The roots of the mountains in the water underneath it all. I mean, he can get no lower. He is at the rock bottom of his life. It cannot get any worse than this. And he begins to cry out. And Jonah in this, mo- 
and this moment encapsulates you and I. He, he is us in those moments of great despair in our life. He is us in those moments when we cry out and we're raw and vulnerable and ripped open. He's us in our depression and our frustration and our anger and our grief. But it's from this place, this place of Sheol, this place of the dead, from underneath it all, that God speaks back to him, that God hears his cry, that God responds to him in a way that he has him spit out on dry land. See, Jonah tried to run and fix his own life and tried to make things right. And what that kept doing was that it kept putting him more and more places of despair. Jonah gets to the place that looks like God has forsaken him. He's gone so far away that it looks like there can be no hope in his life. But what we find in this, from a place that looks like it's God forsaken, is actually a place that God's near. What Jonah's story points out is there is no place that's so God forsaken that there isn't hope. There is no place that hope cannot exist. Jonah is a prisoner in the place of death, but hope still prevails. It's in Sheol, the place of the dead. But God doesn't leave him there. See, God doesn't want to leave us in places of death and despair and darkness. God doesn't want to leave us in places where we're raw and vulnerable and broken. In fact, we can never go so low that God's divine mercy doesn't come to us. Jonah, as he's at the very bottom of the world in his mind, recognizes that in this place of despair, in this place of desolation, as far as he can get from what he calls the temple, the, the place of God, as far away as he can get from God's presence, God is present with him in this moment that seems God forsaken, that can't be God forsaken because there is no place that is God forsaken. And it's rock bottom of his life. What we see in this story is Jonah cries out for salvation. He cries out and says, the Hebrew word we, we don't know it real well, but what it, what it basically implies ends up being the same root word of Jesus' own name. So Jonah, as he's in the beast of the sea, this great fish, this gadol fish, cries out to an even greater God, who speaks and calms the storms, who speaks and brings life, who speaks hope. Jonah doesn't know the story of Jesus, the story of one who came, and when he went to the place of Sheol, the place of death, Hades, hell, whatever you want to say in articulating that, who went to the place of darkness and destruction and desperation and despair and brought about life and redemption and newness. Jonah, as he cries out for this salvation, as he cries out for this place, as Jonah went to the place of the dead, he doesn't yet know of the one named Jesus who goes to the place of the dead and brings hope where there seems to be no hope. It's why he prayed this prayer in the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not that he was forsaken, but as as it mentioned for you and I, that there is no place in this life, there is no place in our lives that we can go that is forsaken by God. That God comes to all these places. Jesus enters into them and brings newness. And so Jonah doesn't yet know this story, but we see in this story that God does hear and answer Jonah's cry, his plea from this place that is rock bottom, from the place of the dead, from this place below the mountains. It says that he's vomited back on dry land. I hope you caught he's covered in seaweed. 
and spit out on the dry land. Can you imagine how much he stunk? I mean, seriously, think about your stomach. He would have stunk. Like, I don't, that's probably like three showers, not even two. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a lot of cleaning to get that off. I mean, that's a lot of junk on him. I mean, the seaweed and the bile, and the, it's disgusting. Like I said, we know it's literal, figurative. The point's the same. It's really gross. God is the one who redeems him. God's the one who brings him from the place of the dead and gives him new life. God is the one who puts his feet on solid footing. But it's also when he gets to that place that there's still some work to be done. And he's to be a part of part of that work. We're not to miss that it is God who redeems and God who brings him life. But, but as he's vomited back on dry land and as he's filthy, there's some cleaning that has to take place. It's God who speaks in our lives and brings us hope. It's God who speaks here among this community of faith. It's God who comes to us when we're covered in this seaweed, covered in, in grossness and junk and brings freedom. I mean, the sea is chaos. Think of how powerful water is. I mean, it's it's. We're at the lake. We were at the lake yesterday, and just watching the waves, and just I mean, you can't stop them. You can't contain them. You can try. Good luck. It's not going to work. I mean, you, you say we build a dam. No, no. We, we we can see all the stories where that doesn't work. But God speaks into situation, and He sets Jonah on dry land. God speaks, and this gadol, this great fish, responds. See, the challenge for us, I think, is that we, we find ourselves in moments of despair and grief, and frustration and depression and anger. And we cry out and we're not sure if God hears us. We're not for sure if we're, we're forsaken. We're not sure. We, we find ourselves in these places of the dead, the sheol in our lives, the deep, the places of darkness, the places that we don't want to tell anyone else about, the places that we hold on to so tightly. And I've been thinking, I've been thinking about my own life and and I'd rather tell stories that are about you guys because that's easier than telling me about myself. But, but I was thinking about those moments of despair in my own life. And um, probably the hardest year of my life was also one of the greatest years of my life. Our, our first few months of marriage when Katie and I got married were really good. But you take two independent people, strongly independent people, and try to make them interdependent, it doesn't really work well because we both had expectations and I expected her to do what I thought she should do in every aspect of life and it didn't work that way. I don't know why. So it was a really rough year for us in that first year. And it got a lot better and we have a good marriage today, but, but there, it was really hard. And I found myself praying a lot because I didn't know what to do and I thought, well... God, I thought, you know, this is how things worked in life and if everything would work the way I thought. But what I found over time was that my expectations were unrealistic. And what I began to recognize was that the issue wasn't probably with her, but it was probably more with me. And over time, we began to recognize that these places of despair that God is present, God, God worked in that and through that and, and it worked out well. But for some of us in this room, that's not what happened. I can tell you stories about the despair and the darkness in our lives and, and the depression, and it's still there. For some of us, that, that darkness or that anxiety or that guilt or that whatever, we're still in counseling for that. We're on medication, in fact. 
See, I want to say, I don't think God, God forsakes us in this moment. I think he's still present with us. And for some of us, it may be a lifetime of working through deep, dark issues. But God is present in the midst of that. That God is faithful in the midst of that. That God redeems that. And sometimes he does it through, through counseling. Sometimes he does do it through medication. See, I, I want to be clear here. Um, I think what we see in the Jonah story is Jonah is covered in dirt and grime and junk that he can't get off himself, but, but God redeems him and restores him and takes him out of that situation. But what I think I can say with certainty today is this, that um, some of us are a wreck. We may not show it on the outside. We may hide the grime really well. It may be underneath us, underneath the first layer of skin. But, but we, we're, we, know, we know in our heart that there's grime that just kind of defines our life. This despair, this desperation, this depression, this place of the deep, this raw, broken part of who we are. And I want to say the scripture speaks to this and gives a model that brings life. But where I think, we, if we're honest, the church has probably fallen short. The model that the scriptures give is that we're living in a faith community that shares in the broken parts of our lives together, that we speak into life towards one another. See, I think the church is too often, we've made it look like a place that you have to have it all together, and if you really are messed up, if you really are hurting, you don't share that because you're afraid what someone might say or think or do. And sometimes there's validity to that, but more often it's just another lie we believe. And I've been, I've been wrestling with this as we think about our lives. And I, I've been thinking the Jonah story could have been a lot different. And I think there's a good chance that Jonah never had to end up in that fish. I really do. And here's what I mean. Had, had Jonah been a part of a, of, a, of a really tight faith community? Had he been a part of a, of a really good small group or community group as we call them here? I mean, had he been a part of a, two or three people who could speak into his life that he would actually listen to? I mean, he would have gone to them and said, hey, by the way, I, I think God's telling me to go to Nineveh, but I really don't want to go there. And these two or three people that are really close to him, and, and the truth is they probably can't be in your own family. They would look at him and go, you know, let's pray about this together. Let's, let's see if this is what God really wants for you. And they could come back to him and go, Jonah, we're pretty sure God does want you to go to Nineveh. I mean, that, and Jonah could still ignore them and run the other direction, but, but that's on him. See, I think for many of us, and I, and I think there's this truth in my own life, as I, as I think I would share you, there's a few people who can speak into my life that can say, hey, I think um, as I complain about something, they go, you know, the, the problem is actually not them, whatever that is. The problem is you. I think the church, we've done a bad job of setting up our lives in such a way that people can speak into our lives and say, hey, um, the truth is what you're upset about, that's really your own insecurity. It's really your own issue. It's really your own anger. It's not them. That's you. I mean, I, it's not all of, the, all of that stuff. It's, it's your own problem. Why don't you begin to look at it this way? See, we were created in such a way to share in life together that these places of despair and desperation and hurt and heartache are not meant to be lived alone. I'm not saying you should walk in on Sunday morning and we should just tell all of our garbage. That's depressing and miserable. Don't do that. I'm not saying you have to go into your Sunday school class or pick a Sunday school class next week and go in there and go, hey, here's all the crap in my life. Don't do that either. 
But there's a reason we encourage people to be a part of community groups. There's a reason we're called the Lakes Community because we think that significant relationships centered around who Jesus is matters. So we're starting a new group of studies this Wednesday night at 6.30 and it's why we launch new groups all the time. It's what Denise literally does here multiple days a week is try to get people connected in groups so they can share in faith community so that in our places of despair when we find ourselves in the places of death or depression or anxiety or we're ridden with guilt or whatever it is or our relationships are falling apart that there are people who come around us who love us and care for us and point us in better directions than we're going because otherwise we end up in the place of the dead in the deep in the place of chaos in the belly of a fish I think Jonah's story could have been different had he been a part of a, a faith community who invested in his life I don't know this. This is the great thing about Scripture. I can read into it sometimes, some, some things that Jesus points out to us later. And so our hope today is not, it's not that, oh, I'm in the belly of this great beast of the sea. And God's going to spit me out and I'm going to be all nasty and I'm going to need some more cleaning. But the great thing about God's church and his people is that we may find ourselves, by the grace of God, spit out on dry land, but we don't have to clean ourselves off. Others come around and help with that. See, this, this is the call of the church. This is the call of the church that there's no dirt or grime or junk or relationship that's so broken that can't be restored. There's nothing in our lives that God can't redeem. It doesn't mean it doesn't take work. It doesn't mean it happens instant. Because sometimes it's, it's a long journey. But God does redeem and restore. And I know I've read this story before, but I think... I think I could almost read it every week and you might not care or you wouldn't or you tell me you'd care and I wouldn't care so some years ago we traded in my old Volkswagen Super Beetle for our first piece of new furniture a mauve sofa it was roughly the shade of Pepto-Bismol but because it represented to us a substantial investment we thought mauve sounded better the man at the furniture store warned us not to get it when he found out we had small children you don't want a mauve sofa he advised get something the color of dirt but we had the naive optimism of young parenthood. We know how to handle our children, we said. Give us the mauve sofa. From that moment on, we all knew clearly the number one rule in the house. Don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't play around the mauve sofa. Remember the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden? On every other chair in the house, you may freely sit. But upon the sofa, the mauve sofa, you may not sit. For in the day you sit thereupon, you shall surely die. Then came the fall. One day there appeared on the mauve sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. So my wife, who had chosen the mauve sofa and adored it, lined up our three children in front of it, Laura, age four, and Mallory, two and a half, and Johnny, six months. Do you see that, children? she asked. That's a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. The man at the sofa store says it's not coming out, not forever. Do you know how long forever is, children? That's how long we're going to stand here until one of you tells me who put the stain on the mauve sofa. Mallory was the first to break. With trembling lips and tear-filled eyes, she said, Laura did it. Laura passionately denied it. Then there was silence for the longest time. No one said a word. I knew the children wouldn't, for they had never seen their mother so upset. I knew they wouldn't because they knew that if they did, they would spend eternity in the timeout chair. I knew they wouldn't because I was the one who put the red jelly stain on the mob sofa. And I knew I wasn't saying anything. 
I figured I would find a safe place to confess, such as in a book I was going to write, maybe. The truth is, of course, that we've all stained the sofa. Some of the stains are small and barely noticeable, but some of them bleed through the entire fabric of our lives. This is why God gives us the community of faith. It's why God calls us to experience deeper spiritual community. It's why we practice certain things together, like taking communion. See, the truth is, um, all of us have had moments of despair and darkness and brokenness in our lives. Maybe it's been depression or anxiety or broken relationship or job loss. But each of us have found ourselves in positions where, where darkness seems to encapsulate us. What we can learn from this story of Jonah is that God wants us to be spit out on dry land again. He doesn't want us to be in the place of Sheol, the place of the dead, the place of the deep, the place of chaos. But he wants our feet on the sand. There may be some seaweed that has to get unwrapped off of us and some junk that needs cleaned off, but this is where his church comes in and comes around us and helps clean us off to take this layer of grime and junk off our lives and help us go on a new trajectory with our lives to help us make new decisions. And so this morning, Evan, as the praise team comes forward, um, we'll take communion today as a reminder for us that God, through the work of Jesus goes to the place of darkness, goes to the place of death, goes to the place of Hades or Sheol or whatever phrase helps you understand this. He goes to that place and he brings hope from there to us. So there's nothing in our lives in which he is not near or present. I'll invite you to stand this morning and as I pray, I'll invite those who are helping with communion to come and as we sing this song and as we take these elements today, Uh, We invite anyone who wants to participate in communion to take these elements, and we just ask that we say, Jesus is Lord. And by our participation, we recognize that today. So as we do this in just a moment, you'll come out these middle outside aisles and then head back to your seat out in the far aisles or the middle. Father, we thank you this morning as we continue, as we continue to try to live our lives in such a way that we're not we're on the belly of some gadol, great fish, but we recognize that we serve a gadol, great God. So, Father, we pray today that you would help us in these moments, that as we take these elements that rep- represent for us your divine mercy, that no matter how far we may go, that you come to us and are present with us in our darkness. But you invite your community of faith, your church, to come around us and help clean us off even more and and to help us in those places of despair and to help point us in new directions. And so we pray that everyone here will be a part of a group in some way, that someone could speak into their life. Someone could help them go to places so they don't end up in the belly of a great fish. But they find their feet feet on dry ground, even if others have to help them. And we recognize that in Jesus, he goes to the places of God-forsakenness so that there is no place that can be called God-forsaken, but you are near to us. As Jonah became a prisoner of hope under the sea, may we too be prisoners of hope this day. And as we take these elements, may we be reminded that they're your grace and your hope to us. Pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As you take the elements this morning, just hold on to them and we'll all take them together.
invite you to come at this time.